Unfortunately, I'm not speechless. <laughs> so I'm going to talk. <laughs> um, well done for keeping secrets very well. I consider myself to be on the money and knowing what's going on in the church, but apparently not as well as I thought I did. <laughs> um, but, it, but it's lovely, thank you. Um, and I'm keeping the top and top on for the duration of the service, by the way. So those of you that support Arsenal, bless you. Uh, if you're a Man United supporter, well, you're lost, you're lost cause. Um, I will be wearing this now for the rest of the service. Maybe even next week, actually. It may just come in shorts and wear my top and top from now on. So uh, you've, un- you've unleashed a monster. Um, anyway. So should we pray, just as we look at God's word together. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for being your family. Thank you, Lord, that you are our God, you are our Lord and our King and our Saviour. Lord, all the glory goes to you. Every single time, Lord, something good happens, we point upwards, Lord, and we, we say, thanks be to the living God. Lord, all the good things that we have in our lives in this church, Lord, are from your goodness, from your graciousness, from your throne. And Lord, it's our privilege to listen to your voice and try to obey you in any way we can, Father. And we pray now as we look at your word that you would speak to us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about um, six, uh, me and my brother were playing aeroplanes, as you do. And you know, you used to get those uh, polystyrene aeroplanes with a little uh, propeller on the front, you put a little bit of plastic on to balance it out. Remember those? Uh, a couple of you. Good? Okay. Anyway, it doesn't bode well if you don't know what they are. Anyway, so me and my brother got up about 6 o'clock in the morning, one Saturday morning, and we were throwing our uh, polystyrene aeroplane round to each other, and uh, it was one of the rare times we actually played with each other, because my brother spent most of my childhood irritated with me, probably because whenever we turned around, there I was. Um, and then the more I knew it irritated him, the more I tended to want to spend every waking moment with him. Anyway. Sorry. Feels like it. Okay. Um, anyway, so we had uh, my dad the night before. Uh, I grew up in a generation whose parents collected rubbish. And uh, my dad was an excellent person at collecting bits of wood that he may or may not need at some point in his life. And, uh, and so my dad collected a big bit of marble kitchen work surface that he was particularly pleased to have. And it's his own fault, really. He's himself to blame. He had it standing up on its end in the hall. And uh, so, of course, me and my brother were throwing the aeroplane to each other upstairs. And in a moment of genius aviation, the aeroplane sort of went... We didn't make that noise. Like that. And it landed in the middle as this thing was up like that. And I said to my brother, don't worry, I'll get it. I'm smaller. So I went downstairs, and then I put my hand in. Couldn't quite reach it. So I went a bit... My head went in, a bit of my shoulder, and then I felt it move. And it went up like that. And all the way over, and it was a massive smash as this bit of marble surface broke into three bits. Apart from the fact that I could have been killed, it taught me a valuable lesson that our actions have consequences. The consequence in this being that when my dad woke up and came downstairs, he completely ignored me. You know when someone walks in, they do that. <laughs> and I thought, hasn't actually spoken to me since, but I, I, I don't think they're related. A few years later, I discovered that actions have consequences even when they're unintentional. We had an event here at this church. Some of you enjoyed this story uh, called Girls' Night Out. And, um, and we had a very well-known celebrity, Carrie Grant, come. Some of you know who she is, redhead, often on the telly. Anyway, and uh, I wasn't invited because I'm not a girl. Uh, but I came at about 5 o'clock to see how lovely the team had made the church. It was a fantastic event. And the sound man said, come and meet Carrie Grant. I really wasn't that bothered. I'm not particularly worried about celebrities. I always say the wrong thing as I was about to discover. Anyway, I went in there. She was sitting down. I was the minister of the church. She got up. We exchanged pleasantries. It turned out we'd both been at the same Christian festival that summer, New Wine, um, over in Shepton Mallet. Anyway, she had shared at New Wine a quite personal story about her past. 
And uh, I'm deaf in one ear. Remember that. That's very important. So it's not actually my fault. Anyway, and, uh, and there was something, a new one I didn't really like. So we were talking. I said, I'll listen to you, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought she said, it wasn't all good, was it? As in new wine, the event. So I said, well, no, if I'm being really honest. There was quite a bit of it I didn't like. Some of it I completely disagreed with. We shook hands. I went home. At 10 o'clock, I phoned Andrea to say, how did it go? And I heard the, the words every husband dreads to hear from his wife. What did you say? <laughs> and I said, who to? Because there's a long list, isn't there, of people I may have offended. Cary Grant is furious. As I walked out, Andrea walked in, and the first thing she said to Andrea was, that vicar of yours is rude, isn't he? And she didn't defend me. <laughs> what the point? <laughs> that was an awkward moment. Anyway, so I put my shoes on. I realized my actions, however unintentional, had a great cost that had to be paid. I put my shoes on. I ran around the church, and the sort of manager guy that she had, who looked about 12, but maybe I'm just getting old, and I said, oh, she'd gone, she'd rushed off, and I said, please, you've got to give me her phone number or something. He said, don't worry, it's all right. She's not that bothered. And I said, oh, she's very bothered. Can I have her email address? No, I'll tell her on your behalf you're sorry. I said, please. So I begged him, and I got her email address, and I explained about being deaf in one ear, and I think she's forgiven me. She's, she didn't reply. No, she did reply and say, that makes sense. Anyway, what I've learned... I did say whenever you're passing, pop in. We'd love to see you again. That was uh, about five years ago. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Anyway, but our actions have a cost, don't they? Sometimes, intentionally, there's a cost. Uh, you, you decide to do something, and there's a cost that goes as a penalty, if you like. And sometimes, unintentionally, you do say anything. I didn't actually mean to say that, but it comes out. Maybe a word you say, or a thing you do, or a decision you make, and you intentionally mean to be wrong. Because you think, oh, forget it, I'll do it anyway. And there's always a cost. There's always a cost. We don't do anything in life in isolation, do we? And even unintentional things. And actually, the cost of our actions when they're wrong can be all sorts of things. You can feel things like guilt, can't you? How many people go through their entire life just feeling guilty? They did that one thing when they were 20. It may be minor in the world's eyes, but for you, it's this terrible thing. And you've got that guilt and you've carried it for years and it gets bigger and bigger, more and more of a monster with its claws in you. Broken relationships, that's another effect of bad decision-making or wrong choices. We can break relationships. How many families just don't see each other? Because something happened millions of years ago and it was so small, but she got on my nerves and he irritates me and they just never, ever speak. How many relationships are broken because our actions have a cost or maybe it's something more internal maybe there's that sense of self-loathing I wonder how many people can bear to look at themselves in the mirror in the morning because they know that thing they did and they're so ashamed that they actually hate themselves and they look in the mirror and say I hate you and they think if only I could be a different person maybe a different gender or a different age or whatever I might be happy but that self-loathing doesn't just go away maybe you lose a job maybe the effects are more serious um, how many people put posts on Facebook about their boss? I heard of one woman who had an interview for a job. She got home. She went, yeah, he got the new job. The bosses are right. Do, do, do. All sorts of things. She went back in Monday morning, and you can guess what happened, because companies check your Facebook account if they can and your social media. And she was told in no uncertain terms she had no job to come to. And I reckon every single one of us here this morning, if we were very much honest with ourselves, have a deep sense of self-loathing somewhere. I reckon every single one of us can point to one or two events in our past where we did something we know we shouldn't. 
that we did something, maybe it was unintentional at the time, but you know it hurt someone's feelings or broke a relationship and there's a cost and you've carried it for a long time and you don't quite know how to get rid of it. It's just there the entire time. I suspect every single one of us would know that feeling of self-loathing, dislike for something we've done in the past. I read a quote this week that says, there's a price to pay for most of our actions. For every action, there is a reaction. Everything we do in life when it's the wrong thing has a reaction, has a cost attached to it. James, in the New Testament, speaks about the tongue. Uh, Lots of people like to talk, don't they? Some people don't know when to stop talking. Uh, But in James chapter 3, he talks about the tongue and he says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. It's quite serious. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is speaking about our actions and how they have a cost. And some of us here perhaps like to say it as it is. I just say it as it is. I love those people. They don't like it when you say it as it is to them, do they? But, you know, we like to say as it is. And that just is an excuse for I can't be bothered to think about what's going to come out of my mouth next. But if you talk and you don't filter, be careful. You may just kill someone. Our actions have a cost, don't they? Did you see the picture of the tongue with the... Never mind. Um, So when we speak or we act or we think in a way that's contrary to the things of God, the words in this book, the Bible, or out of God's character, when we act in a way that's contrary to what God has told us and how God has told us to act, the Bible describes it as sin. People don't talk about sin, but what is sin? Sin is anything you do that is not what God said to do. So if God says, love your neighbor and you don't, that's actually a sin. If God says, don't lie and you lie, that's a sin. It's anything, small or big, that God has said not to do or when you don't do something God has said you should do. Actually, I heard a a story of God in heaven. He was concerned for the state of his world. In fact, he was so concerned how evil everyone had got on planet Earth, he decided he would send one of his chief angels down from heaven to check out how bad the human race had become. So the angel came down and he went to and fro, up and down to all the continents of the world. He looked in on little families, he looked in on big companies. He went back up to heaven and he said, Lord, I've got bad news. 95% of the population is evil. (sighs) Heaven gasped. Only 5% are good. Well, God was disappointed, naturally. But because God likes to do things properly, he sent a second angel down to earth. The second angel came down to earth, and he went to all the same places, but a few other places the first angel hadn't actually got to. And he checked them all out, and he went back, and he said, Lord, I'm really sorry. He's right. 95% of the earth are evil. Only 5% of all mankind, all humankind, are good. Well, God was obviously very disappointed by this. And he wanted to communicate to that 5%. And so he thought he would communicate with them in a way they would understand. So he decided to send them an email. 
And so he decided to email the 5% who were good. And he was going to send them words of encouragement, words that would uplift them and help them to persevere in such an evil, ungodly age. And do you know what that email said? No, nor do I. <laughs> see? See what there? <laughs> That's the last joke. We're all right. We're, we're on the home straight now. But sin isn't a joke, is it? Because when we do things we shouldn't, there's always that cost. And as you go through life, that cost gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And actually, the Bible speaks about the cost of sinful actions, wrong actions that we do. And the, the cost of it, of course, is things like guilt and self-loathing and broken relationships, of course. But the Bible actually paints a much worse picture. The Bible tells us that actually the sins we commit, the things we do that are contrary to the things of God, carry a deeper cost. The Bible speaks of death. As being a cost. Oh, very serious. I said to Andrew, I'm going to talk about death this morning. That's a bit heavy. But death. In the Garden of Eden, when they had the fruit on the tree, and God said, don't touch it, you'll die. The devil says, you'll really die, will you? And they ate that fruit, Eve first, then her husband, Adam. And did they die? Well, not literally in that moment. But in that moment, death became the great inevitability for every single one of us. Death entered human history for the first time. But not just physical death, spiritual death as well. The Bible is very clear that death reigns in us before we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Those feelings of guilt and self-loathing, those feelings of brokenness, those feelings of being lost, is because death is reigning where life should. You shouldn't worry about who you are. You shouldn't be worried about what happens to you at the end. All those things are irrelevant to those who know Jesus Christ because we have them in Christ. And we're in the kingdom of darkness or we're in the kingdom of light. And when we sin... Death reigns, darkness reigns. When we sinned in the Garden of Eden and when we sin every day, death takes charge and life goes on the back burner. But the second effect of sin isn't just spiritual and physical death, it's a broken relationship with God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, God has put eternity in men's hearts or mankind's hearts, but they have not understood it. And it's one of my favorite verses because all the people that you meet who are asking the question, is there a God? What happens when you die? Who am I? What's the point of it all? Have eternity in their hearts. There's something bigger. And they just don't know, they can't fathom it. So they try everything they possibly can. But what they need is the everlasting life and forgiveness of Jesus Christ because of his death and resurrection. And those two things are the root of all the other effects of sin. Those broken relationships, guilt, self-loathing, all come because you are either living in a world of death spiritually and physically or you're in a broken relationship with God everything stems from that you can't fix all the things over here if you don't fix this thing over here if you don't know God as your Lord and Savior and his love and his forgiveness and his grace those things you're treating the symptoms over here rather than the root cause which is sin that needs to be forgiven that's why Christ came into the world and so we live uh, in a world where our actions have devastating consequences Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. It's all very heavy. Um, but it's true. I spoke to her. I was at a family barbecue yesterday. I say I was at a family barbecue out at my house. So we're exhausted this morning because there's so many of them. 30 people. You just think, Phew. anyway, that's irrelevant. Um, but I was talking to Derek, who's not Christian, but we were just discussing politics and the world and the way it all just doesn't ever seem to get better. He said, I really thought at this stage, with all of our advancements, we would have been better as human beings. He said, I really don't know what the problem is. And we were eating sausages and it was a barbecue and I thought, it's probably not the time to say, let's say out a Lord. Um, I don't know him that well. But what I wanted to say was, I know what the problem is. 
There's a fundamental brokenness. There's a broken relationship with God and there's that thing where darkness reigns in our hearts, whether we call it that or not. That's what's wrong with the world. You can chuck as many social movements at it as you like, but nothing's ever going to change because human beings need saving and they need a saviour, Jesus Christ. And so we have these actions, um, these effects of our sin, and uh, we carry them with us. And I think we deal with the cost of our sin in two ways. Like this. We sort of carry it with us, don't we? How many people are just gathering baggage, aren't they? They just sort of go along and they kind of, oh, I'm just going to go over here. Just, uh, and you sort of get there, so I can't do that because my bag's too heavy, so I'll stay here where it's safe and it's easy. And we go through life carrying our burdens, carrying our brokenness. Um, or, um, or we just try and pretend that there's nothing wrong at all. We just sort of amble along and, you know, they get a nagging voice. Hello, Phil. <laughs> you get that sort of nagging voice and you think, what is that? And, and it's still there, isn't it? And it sort of digs away. That little voice that tells you you're rubbish. It's off. Anyway, and, and it's still there. And uh, that was too, too, a step too far. Anyway. <laughs> and it's all there. And it, it's all there the whole time. And you think, well, I'll just, if I could just stand over here, maybe that'll make it better. And I'll carry my bag of burdens. And, and it's still there. And you sort of come over here a bit more. And, and you think, oh, I'll feel better for a bit. And change of scenery, grass is greener. And you, but... And that's what most people do. They go down the gym, they go wellness classes, well-being classes, and it just doesn't ever stop, does it? Because the burdens you can't... Please. <laughs> doesn't ever seem to clear up, does it? I think it was a bit actually, but anyway. <laughs> but maybe there's a third way. Maybe there's a better way rather than trying to carry, being emotionally strong so you can carry all your burdens or just so disciplined that you ignore that irritating thing that dogs you since you were 12 years old. But maybe it would be good if we had someone who could free us from all of that. I wrapped him. He's really getting on my nerves now. (laughs) Like this, please. No, Tim, you've got to take Phil as well. It's, like it's half an illustration. You've got to drag Phil off. I'm quite enjoying this. No, no, I know. That was too gentle. Thank you. Anyway. And with no rehearsals whatsoever. But most people seem to just try and ignore the pain they've gone through. The, the effects of the mistakes they've made or the pain that's been caused to them. Well, they just try and carry it, and they carry it as well as they can. They compact it and try and hide it. But that's not really life, is it? That's never been life, and there never will be life. But Jesus is the one that can take it away and help us. What you may not realize, unless you're Jewish or from a Jewish background, is that Wednesday and Thursday of this week is something called Yom Kippur. Uh, The 10th of Tishri, which is the 19th, I don't know if that's how they pronounce it, is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a Jewish festival which uh, started or or looks back to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16 um, is the teaching on something called the Day of Atonement. You may not know it uh, very well, but in Leviticus 16, and I I won't read it, but I'll just point you to it. If you've got a chance to go home and read Leviticus 16. In the Old Testament, of course, it was before Jesus, so when they wanted to worship God, they had to go through a temple. And they had a very elaborate system of being right with God, of dealing with their baggage and that nagging voice and those things that dogged them. And there's this, there was this day called the Day of Atonement. And once a year, 
Um, they had a temple. I should start with this, shouldn't I? They had a temple. Sorry, they had a temple. And the temple had an outer courtyard and an inner one. And then there was this bit in the middle called the holy place. And in that was something called the most holy place, separated by a curtain. And in the most holy place, this inner room, this central room in this temple, was the Ark of the Covenant, the big box that they carried, the Israelites carried. You've seen Indiana Jones, you know all about it. Um, in there was the Ten Commandments. There was a jar with the manna. There was Aaron's staff that budded. And in that, uh, on top of that, was a lid called the, not the lid, um, but it was called the Mercy Seat. It was the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. And on either end of this lid were two angels, sculpted, obviously. And then it was where God's presence dwelt. And so in the Old Testament, when somebody wanted to be nowhere, where's God? His presence dwelt in the holy, the most holy place of all the earth, the most holy place. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim, the two of these two angels, was where the very presence of God rested. And on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, it was a day of national cleansing. What would happen is the priest would go in to the most holy place. He would have to go for a very elaborate set of rituals. And he would go in, he would go having sacrificed an animal. And he would go into the most holy place and he would perform a ritual there on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the blood of that animal would be sprinkled over it. And that one day he could carry the burdens and the sins of an entire nation and enter God's presence and their sin could be atoned for. And the word atonement means to cover over. It would be covered over by that ritual and the blood of that animal that was sacrificed in place of an entire nation. And that action in Leviticus 16, Yom Kippur, is like an object lesson. I love a good object lesson, as you well know, after 10 years. And I, some of them have been better than others, let's be honest. Um, but I love an, a visual. And really, a lot of the Old Testament is a visual pointing us to the need for Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. In fact, if you want to understand the cross better, you need to understand what was going on at the temple in the Old Testament, because that will explain it properly, why Jesus had to die the way he did. And so what Jesus did on the cross was really a grander version of what happens in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Because what Jesus did at Calvary, a place of the skull 2,000 years ago, was just like the animal whose blood was sacrificed at Yom Kippur. He shed his blood perfect once and for all. And he didn't go into the temple and shed his blood. He went into the most holy place, heaven itself. And he is able because he's God's perfect sacrifice, our perfect substitution. He is able to atone for every single human being's sin, no matter what it is or how bad it is, to cleanse us and to set us free. I love that. I think that's brilliant. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Those burdens that we drag around, hoping that by the time we reach the grave, we might finally have got rid of them. Christ, in his death 2,000 years ago, once and for all, is able to cleanse us. The Bible says we're made like white as snow. Our hearts are sprinkled clean, and we are righteous in the sight of God. How brilliant is that? No man, no woman can take your suitcase like Tim did. No one can drag that nagging voice from your head except God's perfect sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, who died in our place. Let me just read a couple of verses um, just for you from the New Testament that just speak of Jesus' death and what it does for us. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, I think we read this last week. I won't ask just in case none of you remember. Um, Chapter 20, verse 28 Jesus says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom 
for our sin, to set us free from that brokenness and that spirit of death that so often reigns. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul the Apostle writes these words, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And then flicking forward to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter writes these words. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. And then one final one, 1 John, verses 6 to 9. John writes this. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sin to God not another person to God he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness that is the good news that Christ can purify even the most broken I want to end with the story very quickly there was a judge there was a uh, uh, a, a guy had come across to this country um, I think he'd come across illegally and he'd been caught doing something uh, petty, trying to get some food he had no money whatsoever and as he was taken off to court uh, this is a true story, happened just a few years ago he was taken in front of the magistrate and it turned out this poor guy really who had travelled hundreds of miles to come to this country had absolutely nothing and all he managed to do in the course of the few uh, weeks that he'd been on the shores of this nation was rack up debts to courts. He'd been arrested, he'd been put in front of magistrates, he'd been fined for various very minor things. And the judge sat before him knowing that the letter of the law meant he had to fine him for the the acts he'd committed and this fine was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And this magistrate thought, this is ridiculous. This man needs a break. And so do you know what he did? And this is a true story. He had to resign from his job shortly after because it went down like a lead balloon. He got his wallet out and he paid this guy's fine. And Jesus Christ is like that. God the Father pays our fine, pays the cost for our sin so that we can be free. Before we pray, let me ask you, how big is your suitcase this morning? How hard is it to drag around? Are you not tired of dragging it around? Who is poking you? Don't upset Phil. (laughs) He's very good at poking, I've discovered. (laughs) But what is constantly in your back? What is that monkey on your back? that will not let you be free? Is it time that you tried the third option? Jesus Christ and a living relationship with him. Only he can defeat that brokenness in your life. Let's pray. Father God, we just lift up, Lord, these thoughts to you, Lord, and we just thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your salvation. I thank you, Lord, that as humans, we we try so hard to, to make ourselves well. We do all sorts of things, and Lord, you know, we don't we're not putting down any of the things that people try but lord there is a better way there is a way that works lord that is a living relationship with you through your son's death and resurrection on the cross lord he is our savior he is the sinner's savior lord he is a lost person's shepherd father god for any here this morning who don't know you may they come to know you for the first time and know the freedom in christ that there is to enjoy and we do enjoy it and we lift all this to you now in your name amen so we just finished with, with one song.